never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. This week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that would totally trade a Wookiee for the opportunity to ride on a Rancor. <laughs> my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Well, I'm here for that. Totally. That's, yeah, absolutely. What's up, man? How's it going? <laughs> uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, nothing too exciting or crazy. How about you? Um, No, I have been completely slammed and crazy busy. So, um... Yeah, uh, it's ski season, so I've been uh, hard at work and on the slopes and trying to do a podcast and do all this other stuff and still find time to ski. So um. <laughs> that's awesome. It's it's cool that you uh, work at a ski slope um, in your community because it makes it sound like where we live is a lot more exotic than it actually is. <laughs> Yeah, because I walk around like we live in the Midwest and a lot of times it feels like this boring land of just flat plains. But uh, it's cool to say, like, yeah, my brother works at a ski slope. It makes me feel a little bit better about where we're at right now. But (laughs) well, I also I also bought ski equipment at the end of last season and it all came in like just recently. Oh, awesome. um, I've been kind of like, yes, let's do this. Let's go. Like I've been wanting to play and we had some stupid warm weather for a little while. Now it's cold. We got snow on the ground. So. I've been uh, I've been enjoying myself. Well, that just makes me want to see your ski equipment next time at your, I'm at your house. Yeah, but I don't uh, know if that's like something you keep at the slope or if you just keep it at well, your house. I'll, you know what I mean? I'll keep it. I, I'm going to keep it at the I'm going to keep it at. Um, I guess the office is the best way of wording it until the season's over. Um, but yeah, so but no, it's awesome. Boots feel great. Skis are awesome. Yeah, I'm just excited. <laughs> nice. Um, any rate. Um, let's, we have a ton of news, so let's jump in and start talking. Uh, what are we watching? What are we reading? Yeah. So I've actually been busy as well. So I haven't watched and read much. Um, but it's actually kind of cool because I've been more so keeping myself busy. I've kind of, uh, had a bit of a creative streak going, which I'm pretty psyched about. Um, I've been doing a lot of drawing and stuff. Um, I actually have this like comic book project that has kind of been, sitting there for a while um, that I haven't worked on for a while. And I'm kind of getting back into that. And it's one of those things where I had this idea for this project like two years ago and I started working on it and I shelved it for a while just because life gets busy sometimes. But it's such a good idea. Like, I know I need to see it through. So I'm kind of working on that. And uh, I've actually been writing a little bit, too. Like, I've got a couple cool like story ideas that I've been kind of working out and stuff. So that's really awesome. And it's one of those things, especially with the writing side of things, I don't know what's going to come of it. Like, I don't know if this is going to be something I'm going to share or if it's just going to be a a personal project. But uh, I've just been having a lot of fun with that, which is really fulfilling because honestly, for me, life gets really boring when you're not doing something creative. So I've been really pumped about that. Um, 
otherwise I've been doing a lot of, uh, just rewatching things. <laughs> like I was kind of in an eighties movie mode the other night and rewatched the Goonies, which is always a blast. And, uh, uh-huh. Because that's on HBO Plus, for some reason, one of the suggested movies after that was, uh, I don't did you have, you mean, oh, did I say HBO Plus? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that's on HBO flicks plus Peacock Prime. Uh, no, but, uh, (laughs) one, I don't know why, but one of the suggested movies was a fun size. Did you ever watch that movie when it came out? That's the, that is the, um, it's a Nickelodeon Halloween movie. Oh, I sorry. I was I totally got that confused with Super Size Me. My bad. Oh, <laughs> no, much, much different movie. It's fun size is like a teen comedy about a girl who's uh, going to a big Halloween party, but she ends up losing her little brother on the way and they have to like hunt, her, hunt him down. And it's it's a really goofy like I don't think it's the greatest movie, but we watched that the other night, too. And I saw it when it came out and it's been a couple of years, but it it actually held up for me. I thought it was pretty hilarious, to be honest. So uh, that's definitely a fun one if you want to check it out or if you want to wait a year you know, for one, it's Halloween time and then check it out. That could work, too. Um, other than that, I've watched Book of Boba Fett, and that's pretty much it this week. So that's pretty much it for me. All right. So we'll talk Boba Fett in a second because I watched that, too, and we'll do our like usual weekly uh, touch up on that. Um, <laughs> so first off, uh, let's talk reading for a minute. Um, I've been slammed, so I haven't had a lot of time to really watch and devour anything. So I did watch Boba Fett. <laughs> Um, one of the things I did read though, is, um, I've, I've been catching up on my Marvel comics and reading all that stuff. And, uh, it's been nice to have the DC and Marvel apps on my phone and I can just read wherever. And, uh, I kind of do a weird back and forth where I do two days of DC and then I do two days of Marvel and then I do two days of DC and two days of Marvel. So I give an equal love to the apps, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's kind of like you, you jump on. It's like, oh, sweet. It's a Marvel day. And you read a couple days of Marvel and then you jump back to D.C. and you read a little bit. But it keeps you. It's a nice even blend. It's just really cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about this today because I was like, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to because I've been reading a lot of the I kind of went back to the Jim Lee era X-Men Chris Claremont run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, I want to read 90s X-Men because that's like the gold standard, I think, in terms of like X-Men. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I was thinking about while I was reading it, I was like, hold on a second. I, I don't remember how I don't in terms of how far I am into the run. I'm like, wait a minute. What about X-Force? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I remember X-Force that well. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to go and find and I, so I dug out, I dug up, I went to the app and I dug in, dug into the 90s X-Force books that coincided with the Jim Lee era X-Men books. Yeah. So I'm reading that. What's interesting about it, though, is so we, we all know the X-Men and then we have the X-Force, which is like Cable, Deadpool, Domino, Warpath, um, uh, Shatterstar. Um, you know what I mean? Like those characters. And I'm reading it. I start reading it and I'm thinking to myself, OK, hold on. We have 90s X-Men, which spawned the X-Men cartoon that everyone holds in high regard, which eventually we get to the movies. We have 90s Spider-Man, which is your um, which is basically your Todd McFarlane era um, Spider-Man that spawns into like the Venom symbiote age. 
and you have the X-Force, which brings you Cable and Deadpool and all that stuff. Yeah. Take DC out of the equation for a minute. Like, just looking over the pond at DC for a second, if I walked up to any random person on the street and said, name me DC characters, they could probably name me the Justice League. And that's yeah. about it. If I walked up to a random person on the street and said, outside of the movies, name me Marvel characters, they could probably cover the majority of everything I just said. (laughs) Movies aside, it's interesting because when I go and read like a DC book, when I jump over to the DC app, I'm like, I'm a comic book reader, so I know these characters. But I just have this feeling that Marvel, because of the success of like comics from the 90s, every character from Marvel is a household name. Yeah, where it's, I mean, where it's where it's not the other way around. DC's been around longer, but the ones that are household names are the major players and not the side characters where Marvel's major uh, all of it are household names. I just thought that was interesting. It was the thought I had today. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if my theory holds any weight or not. But no, I, I think you're right. I think um, outside of uh, like the Batman, like the Bat family and the Bat uh Batman's like rogue gallery. I definitely think you're on the money with that, um, that assessment. But I, I, I think it's true. Like most people know Batman characters really well and they know the justice league on the side of uh, DC. But then even if you go like, you know, name me a couple of characters from Superman's rogue gallery. Like a lot of people don't yeah, know that much. Lot of They're just kind of like Lex Luthor doomsday, yeah. uh, uh, I don't uh think, you know, so I don't think a lot of people know doomsday by name. Like, I think it's like Lex Luthor's the villain in Superman. That's what they know. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, don't I know. think I it just... is like the average person doesn't know Superman's rogue gallery that well. But uh, I feel like after Lex Luthor, I think Doomsday is the most well-known yeah. of Superman's rogues. And I feel like that's partially why we've already seen a live action version of Doomsday. And we haven't seen a live action version of like parasite for example or you know one of his other villains you know because everybody not everybody but so many people know doomsday because of how well um the death of superman sold back in the day you know yeah well i just thought that was an interesting thought and uh, that being said i've just kind of been enjoying um reading x-force um and i know that if you saw deadpool 2 you kind of got a taste of what x-force is but you know but without an explanation <laughs> which kind of makes yeah. it a little bit um if you don't know what x-force is and i'm not trying to sell the book or anything just you know just a quick recap if people don't know you have the x-men which is basically covers the x-men school charles xavier and you know the x-men we all know like wolverine cyclops rogue storm uh gene gray beast like those characters but then you have x-force which was basically these characters are mercenary. It's a group of mercenaries that call themselves X-Force that um, uh, they they it's kind of like we studied with Charles Xavier here and there, but we didn't fit in. So we kind of formed our own little group and we're just kind of messing shit up and doing our thing, you know, so <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just kind of interesting, like the dynamic, because when they talk about it, like I'm three episodes in and they're already battling three issues in. And they're already battling the juggernaut because someone sent them to do this thing. Um, so it's just kind of cool. It's like they're on the same side as the X-Men, but they are just operating on a different capacity. Um, right on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I it's, think um, 
I think for like the non-comic reader, I think Deadpool 2 did a good job setting up the X-Force. But of course, yeah. spoilers, they killed him off like right away after that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's just funny how quickly they killed off X-Force in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, like we're going to get all these characters and then we're going to kill them all real fast and then let the movie play out. So who knows? Let's see where it goes. Um, <laughs> all right. Things that I watched. So we'll talk about Boba Fett in a second. Um, there's a trailer that dropped this week that I'm excited for. I talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were doing our anticipated television stuff. The trailer for the Critical Role series uh, Vox, Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon Prime dropped. Um, <laughs> yeah. You it, you reminded me to watch this before the show, so I have watched this. Uh, well, I, just wanted, I think it looks pretty great. I just so. wanted to be able to talk to you about it because from an artistic standpoint, it's the same guys who do the art for like the DC films. Um, yeah, absolutely. Or the DC animated movies. Um, so uh, it just the the artistic style looks fantastic. Um, I know you don't know the show like the Critical Role series as well. So like I'm listening to the I'm, I watched the trailer a couple times because I was listening for the character voices because I know who, I know yep. all the actors like because I watched the, the live action show. Um, so it was just really kind of cool to like catch all the live, the, the actor voice. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even though I know who plays what character, it was just kind of nice to hear it all. Um, yeah, but no, the show looks fantastic. Um, and I was already excited and I was already on board. Um, what did you think? Cause you kind of like the outlier between the two of us. No, I, I think that's a uh, good thing to point out because I've like watched a few episodes of uh critical role, like on YouTube, but I haven't, uh, delved super deep so it's not like when i watched the trailer i knew these characters or anything about the story or anything because it's not like uh it's not like i was like oh this is that's exactly how i imagined so and so's character you know it wasn't that sort of experience but i kind of watched it and i was like okay first of all this show the artwork and the animation look really great like you said the the studio is putting this out like they're doing a really good job. But I kind of like the even when you go into the color palette and just how the character design is and stuff like that, I think it's it looks like it's going to be a really cool series. Um, it looks action packed. It looks hilarious. But I think what the series is, I think what the series is going to be is exactly the same thing I like about Dungeons and Dragons is it's going to feel like you're sitting down to play a game with your friends and there's going to be some parts that are badass and action packed and some parts that are just really goofy and jokey, but that's the vibe I'm kind of getting out out of it. And that's from what I've watched of critical role. That's the aspect that I like of it is that this is uh you're basically feel like you're along for the ride and you feel like you're playing a game with your friends when you listen to that show. The only difference is, is you're listening to professional voice actors who are very good at uh, playing yeah. the parts that they do. So I think it looks great. I'm excited for it. I'm definitely going to be watching this. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any other thoughts, like anything more in depth you wanted to touch on? Not, or? Real, not really. I'm, I'm a big fan of them over there. I watched their, I watched their live episodes their podcasts when they do their gaming sessions um it takes me like a couple days to watch them because their episodes are so incredibly long but <laughs> yeah i still I, I, I like watch an hour a day of, during the week and then next week starts and i start the next episode um the uh the, but i i talked a couple weeks ago how excited i am about this the trailer drops it looks fantastic i can't wait so yes absolutely <laughs> um but yeah enough about that let's talk about some boba fett yeah uh, right some, on 
Holy crap! Was this episode cool? Um, <laughs> I did not expect absolutely. To see, I did, let's right off the bat. I did not expect to see the fight with the Wookiee that quick. Oh yeah, that like, was awesome. And um, um, Karistan is that how you say his name? That I think that's right. Karistan. They gave the Wookiee a name, so I have a feeling oh, okay. see him again. Um, did you not catch the name? When you yeah, said, I didn't catch the name. Oh, they said so. it like four times. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was in subtitles cause the huts were talking. So I was like, all right, we got a spelling too. Um, Oh, yeah. it's, it's my, my bad. I was really into the episode. And one of the issues is every time the huts are on screen, just cause aesthetically, I think huts are just a really fun species, you know, and I yeah. love just the way they look aesthetically. Like, I think they're just a fun creature to look at. So every time the huts are talking and I have like, one eye on the subtitles and one eye like just trying to enjoy their animation, you know, so maybe I missed sure. that detail. <laughs> well, I was just like, all right, they gave him a name, so we'll probably see him again. That's awesome. Um, the fight scene with them was great. Um, I just didn't expect it was going to happen that quickly. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have a new biker gang, which totally felt like Boba Fett's version of Biff's or Griff's gang. From Hill Valley, <laughs> 2015, Back to the Future 2. <laughs> I could see that. I was also thinking a little bit of like Tetsuo, Tetsuo and Canada from Akira and their like biker gang. But yeah, I definitely right. probably more of a Biff vibe for well, sure. Well, not only that, not only that chase through the streets and then when he hit the fruit, it dumped over on him. Just like yep. shot from just with the like the manure <laughs> from uh, Back to the Future. Um, Absolutely. The uh, let's see. Um. So clearly Robert Rodriguez directed this episode because Danny Trejo was in the episode, (laughs) (laughs) which made me chuckle. But I was like, man, that's awesome. So Danny Trejo is officially part of Star Wars. So I feel like we need to revisit our Danny Trejo top five that we did and include Star Wars real quickly on the list. Um, True story. But uh, we got a rancor. Awesome. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Not only that. Boba Fett's going to ride a Rancor? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a good bit of foreshadowing. I was just like, oh, man, we're going to get Boba Fett riding a Rancor into battle. Like, this is awesome. It's like Boba Fett with his own sort of, like, organic uh, Gundam almost <laughs> going into a fight. Like, that's so badass. Right, I can't wait for it. And it harkens back to the original appearance of Boba Fett. And I'm not talking about... Oh, him. yeah, you're right. Good call. I'm not talking about Empire Strikes Back. Yes. I'm talking about the... Um, talking about the hot Star Wars holiday special with the cartoon that introduced the character when he was riding that weird dinosaur dragon-looking thing. Um, which made me laugh because when... Uh, Danny Trejo's character, the new, who, who is clearly the new Rancor handler. Um, so we're going to see more Danny Trejo. Um, because he warned him about riding the Rancor, Boba Fett said, I've ridden larger beasts. And I was like, yeah, he's referring to that cartoon, which is essentially <laughs> canon now, if you think about it. Um, <laughs> so um, I just thought that was awesome. So um, good on them for that. And then Danny Trejo is also holding the rifle that Boba Fett, you was actually carrying in that cartoon. If you didn't catch mm-hmm. it. Um, okay. Yeah. There's just, there was a lot of Easter egg stuff in this episode that, that I was catching. I also want to point out, um, and I noticed it, um, a couple episodes ago that they're in Moss Espa, which is the city that's related to the, um, 
pod race from episode one. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize Moss Espo was so physically close to Jabba's palace in comparison to Moss Eisley, which where Luke and Han meet, which is two different cities. Um, the other thing that they talked about in this episode, which they touched on, or, uh, I think it was like episode two, I think they talked about the oceans of Tatooine, how like when the oceans dried up and then yeah. uh, Stephen Root's character and this Stephen Root joining Star Wars. That's a f- that's fantastic. Uh, he's <laughs> such a cool actor. But him being in it, he specifically said that Tatooine used to be covered in water, um, which lends to the moisture farming. Um, but. I just thought that was a cool touch that they've been they're talking about it. So I wonder what that could possibly mean for the future of Tatooine. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's it for my big uh, Boba Fett review. Did you have anything you wanted to add? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know where to start. You touched on so many points um, just because we talked so heavily about the rancor. The thing is, like. I've been saying it for a while, but I've been waiting for Huts to enter, you know, one of the Disney Star Wars shows or movies for a long time. Like, I love I love Huts, like, definitely. And we finally got some in the show. So I was excited about that. And uh, this episode, when when it's like uh, the protocol, dro- I think it was the protocol droid told him that uh, the Huts are here. Um, but I can't remember specifically. Yeah. But when uh, Boba Fett well, goes he's outside, not a, he's not a protocol droid, by the way. Oh, good call. Yeah. Not- <laughs> and Boba Fett specifically said they needed to get one. No, you're 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 right. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> um, but when Boba Fett, Fett goes outside to greet the huts, I was like, sweet, we got some more hut scenes. But then they bring up a rancor and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, they're putting everything I love about Star Wars into the show. <laughs> and then we get like shortly after we see the uh, huts, it shows the close up of uh, Danny Trejo's face. And I was just cracking up. I was like, this is, this started, is amazing. I, I laughed out loud. Like when I saw Danny, yeah, Trejo, so did I, I was laughing out loud. I was like, God, that's awesome. <laughs> it was almost like, it was almost like too soon after seeing the rancor because you have the shock from seeing the rancor and then Danny Trejo's there all of a sudden, like, I don't know how you don't laugh at that. Um, but, uh, um, I'm losing my train of thought a little bit. No, that that was just awesome. And then uh, the other part I really want to talk about, because we haven't talked a lot about the flashback scene in this episode yeah. and uh, Boba Fett going to uh, get payment for uh, the Tusken Raiders protection of the I can't remember the race. Um, the Pikes. The Pikes. Yes. Thanks. Yes, which, um, which were original. Well, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if they were pulled from like a comic book because there's some yeah. stuff that like they've pulled that have been like comic book creations and like novel stuff that have been pulled for canon. But if we're talking just on screen canon, the Pikes were introduced in the Clone Wars cartoon. Television. Oh, cool. Yeah, they came in season five maybe but the pikes were a part of uh, the clone wars television series you got to see a little bit more of their culture so when we first saw that episode with the train um as soon as we saw their masks i was like oh it's the pikes and yeah <laughs> that's great anyway go ahead <laughs> um so no after he came, comes back from uh that expedition and he sees the uh tuscan raider camp uh completely burned down like essentially his family for you know, the last who knows how long has just been murdered and uh, just his way of life is completely destroyed. And it was such a tragic scene. And uh, it was really 
like this is a Star Wars show, so you know the music is good. But I think this was the first time in the series where the music really hit me because it just had like such a really great emotional resonance with that scene because there is a sense of um, sorrow, but there's also like almost an uplifting aspect to it, like almost like a sense of closure in a really weird way. And it was like it was just really beautiful how that scene paired like the visuals of that scene pairing with that music and it was such a somber end to that flashback but then for that to just be completely interrupted by uh that wookie um what do you say it was karstian or whatever his name is karistan karistan just ripping (laughs) out of the back tank like just ripping it out of that that was such a good juxtaposition that really caught you off guard and then when you talk about the act the fight scene that happens immediately after that where Boba Fett's having a hard time taking him down and uh, this new biker crew that uh, Boba Fett employed, they're having a hard time taking him down as well as two Gamorrean guards. Like that was such like, I remember watching that scene and being just like, this dude's a beast <laughs> like this. This Wookiee right. is so freaking powerful and that's awesome. And then the scene ends with uh, him falling into the Rancor pit and there's part of me going, okay, so Boba Fett doesn't have a Rancor, but this guy's the new Rancor. Like, I thought he was going to be... I thought, I thought the same thing. <laughs> which which would have been a callback to uh, Solo, to be honest, which would have yeah. been a cool twist. But, I mean, we've got an actual Rancor, and we're moving on to bigger and better things with that. But, no, that was all great. Um, honestly, I'm on the same page with you. Like, I loved this episode from top to bottom. The only aspects I don't know if I was completely sold on is uh this new biker gang that boba fett's working with i don't know if i'm that fond of the appearance of the bikes because i don't know if they feel super star warsy to me and then you know what they okay so they don't feel star warsy but you know what they do feel they do feel very american graffiti which is a george lucas film okay Um, that's a fair assessment they feel american graffiti um crew uh cruise night kind of a yeah our vibe if you will and that's george lucas is huge on that and because of that influence i think that's where someone like dave filoni was like no 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 no, no. hold on i have an idea for the bikes well you know? i was also thinking about um in episode two when uh obi-wan kenobi goes to the diner and uh the diner in episode two on uh, I, I believe it's on coruscant uh, yeah, it yeah. looks pretty much like a standard diner <laughs> So I was like, okay, there's been things in Star Wars before that feel pretty earthly. So I was I was actually pretty forgiving on the look of those uh, motorcycles or speeders or whatever, whatever you want to call them. But the chase scene at the end of the show, I really wasn't the big fan of until the end. Like I did enjoy the back to the future comparison at the end. But the chase scene to me felt a little bit slow like it felt slow and yeah. it also just felt a little bit i don't know it, it tonally i don't think it matches all the other cool stuff going on in the show like it felt a little bit more goofy where i feel like the rest of the show is a little darker a little bit more serious and stuff so sure. that just kind of sat out of place to me but that's literally my only complaints about the series at all so far. So I'm yeah. absolutely loving it, you know? Yeah, it's it's great. Um, I want to point out one more thing, and I thought about it after the episode ended, was that um, 
You got to remember in Mandalorian season two, Din Djarin went to Tatooine and that's how we found out Boba Fett was still alive. And Boba Fett yeah. was on a sand dune and watched Din Djarin fly past him. I feel like these flashbacks are leading to that cross path. Oh, yeah, good call. That crossed path. And then Boba Fett eventually catches up with Din Djarin, So the flashback might lead to us finding out how he gets the Slave One back um, and then going from there, um, which could be kind of cool, like catching up with, you know, or at least the idea of, OK, then he meets up with Din Djarin, And that's how the flashback is kind of coinciding with what's happening in Mandalorian season two and everything else is taking place post Mandalorian season two. Um just a just a thought where my head was at when I, the episode came to a close. So, yeah, no, but yeah, but he's going to go with that biker gang that killed all those sand people. They are going to get messed up. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, this segues us into news. So you ready to talk news? Yes. Cool. All right. First story is Star Wars related. Uh, Tamira Morrison, who plays Boba Fett, who also played Django, which means he technically is the clones, has said he is open to he is willing to play all of the clones if there are any still alive. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Here's a guy going, I'm in Star Wars. My face is on literally the majority of the characters that I really wanted him to be. <laughs> um, so, of course, he's going to say he'll play it. I thought that was kind of cool that he said he would, though. That's, um, that's great. All right. There's a couple quick hits here. So first off, um, Spider-Man director uh, John Watts uh, joins a HBO's Final Destination reboot. Oh, um, yeah. Apparently there's a <laughs> new Final Destination coming um, and it's going to be director uh, John Watts from the Spider-Man films, uh, which is I think it's a I think it's a bizarre change, but I thought he did good with the Spider-Man movies. So let's see what he's got. You know, I think it's that that teenage demographic, though, that he's still going to get. Um, yeah, I, li I like the Final Destination movies to a point. Um, there's part of me that just feels like I don't know if I'm ready for a new one, though. You know, <laughs> you know I feel like they've right. already had a ton of them, but that's interesting. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK. Um, did you ever see the movie Real Steel? No. I, yeah, I, I never actually watched it. You know what I'm talking about, right? We're Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's basically Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Mm -hmm. The movie's actually really decent. Um, I had a lot of fun watching the movie. I never felt I never felt bored. I never felt like, yeah, OK, it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It was like a, it, it was like a, <laughs> it was like a decent, like heartwarming story. It was cool. Um, yeah, there is a real steel um, television show in early development for Disney Plus. I mean, that sounds cool. And it sounds like we're going to be getting uh, some pretty awesome robot fights, if nothing else. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're going to at least get some robot fights. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let me see here. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty sweet. Um, uh, you watched Red Notice, right? No, I haven't watched that one yet either. You haven't watched <laughs> Sorry. that? All right, so Ryan Reynolds. I feel like uh, I didn't do my required re reading for this episode. Kidding. That, one's been, that one's been around for a while. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, and The Rock are all in the movie. Oh, you know what? You know, we did start watching that, and then uh, it was one of those movies we started watching, and then I fell asleep, and then I just haven't uh, caught up with it. But, uh, yeah, what we were saying, does it have a sequel well, coming out? or I, what's... Well, I feel bad that you fell asleep now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's one of those, like, we turned it on to fall asleep to sort of things, but oh, I usually do that with stuff I've already seen. Anyway, 
Um, anyway, Netflix is in the middle, is planning um, back-to-back sequels um, for Red Notice. Um, and it, I mean, it comes no surprise with the film's success, but um, back-to-back, meaning it sounds like they're doing two back, two sequels right away, back-to-back, and then they'll probably split it up. So the two sequels could be like one of those big, like, hey, we're going to make one big movie, cut it in half, and give you two movies. Nice. Um, so that's cool. I'm totally down for another adventure with those characters because I had a I had a lot of fun watching um, those. Um, all right, I got a couple Batman news here. First off, first Batman news. Rumors are going around. Okay, I'm saying rumors very carefully because I don't know how true this is. I don't know. Um, I don't really know the source this is coming from. Um, but what I do know is that, um, they talked about this a while back. So what I'm going to say is the internet has a way of telling us about, um, rumors and then it being true. So, um, rumors are going around that there's a Batman beyond HBO movie currently in, um, or an adaptation of Batman beyond currently in the works over at HBO max. Yep. Yeah. Um, so an actual one. And if we're getting Michael Keaton on a permanent basis now, then that makes sense that that's actually going to be a thing. However, this makes it sound like it has nothing to do with the Batgirl film where we all thought Batgirl was going to be technically the Batman Beyond. OK, so this makes it sound like it's its own thing that has nothing to do with Batgirl. Um, <clears throat> OK, uh, any thoughts on that or no? Yeah, is that that's basically the extent of it? Is it's basically just, the extent it's of it? It sounds thing. like there's a sounds like there's an actual Batman Beyond movie coming for HBO. It'll be an HBO Max exclusive. Um, it sounds like it's completely separate from the Batgirl thing that we all thought was supposed to be Batman Beyond. So who knows? So my my judgment of that is uh, that means we get two uh, Bat Family films instead of one, which is awesome. And I think. Having it actually be Terry McGinnis, like having it actually be uh, the male version of Batman Beyond, there's a lot of uh, potential fan backlash you're probably avoiding with that. Um, yeah, so I, don't, well, I, I think it's good news overall. That's the thing. Batman Beyond, Terry McGinnis as Batman Beyond has it's has its own like it's a built in fan base. Yeah, and I feel that in a world of. I really do feel like because of how Batman Beyond has evolved as far as a comic book and a TV show, I really feel like you're going to have to honor the fans and do that one right. Um, yeah. And like, I'm kind of like, why, you know, why combine stuff, you know, make, you know, if you have the facilities to do it, just make, you know, one of each film, you know, give us yeah. more content instead of less. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um yeah, we'll see how it goes. I just I just thought I'd bring it up. So because uh, I was like, OK, cool. Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, all mm-hmm. right. Moving on. Batman is getting his own limited edition Dark Knight Oreos. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised that hasn't happened yet. It has not happened <laughs> yet. No, I'm su- you know what? When I read this article, I thought to myself, I'm surprised that hasn't happened to all characters. Oh, hey, the Spider-Man movie is coming out <laughs> on Spider-Man Oreos. Oh, hey, Avengers are coming out. Oreos with the v- Avengers A on it. Just all of them. I'm surprised it's not yeah. like a regular thing. However, the Batman Oreos will be sold in select markets around the world. Unfortunately, the U.S. will not be one of those markets. That's crazy. That's I funny. don't. I don't understand who thought that was a good idea. Um, 
like no offense to the other markets, but I just I feel like U.S. is like one of the biggest, especially like in terms of like food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I guess I'm not going to get a chance to eat some Batman Oreos. The question, though, as a collector, do I open the Batman Oreos? <laughs> I think you you open them 20 years later when they're still not worth that much. And then you just try it. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever seen that comic book man episode where they get the uh, Batman cereal from like 1989 oh, or whatever. And uh, they actually made Ming Ming eat some of it. And that that would definitely be an interesting experience. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a bit of an Oreo purist, though. I think uh, I think the original Oreos have always been the best. I don't think they've ever topped it personally. So sure. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right. So the Batman, as in the Robert Pattinson movie, um, has gotten has now been officially or officially has its own rating um, based on the trailers. And I know you've watched at least one, maybe two of the trailers. What would your yeah. guess be? What would your guess be for a rating for this movie? <laughs> I actually know where you're going with this, but um, yeah, it's, it'd have to be an R or at okay. least like a hard PG-13. But right. uh, yeah, probably so R. <laughs> the movie the movie is listed for strong violence, disturbing content, drug content, strong language, and some suggestive material. Yeah. Still want to go with the R? No, I mean, I know I know what it's actually going to be rated. (laughs) It has been rated PG-13. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, Juan, I'm not surprised you you put it at PG-13. It gets a bigger audience because more people can go. Um, So we're dealing with Batman. If you're going to like one of these days, we'll get a rated our Batman. But um, now is clearly not the time. I just I watched that trailer and I'm like. Here we go. I guess this is the rated our Batman we're getting, and it's going to be PG-13. So you technically uh, do with uh, Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. You but, do. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. And I think regardless of how you feel, about, uh, like it would be awesome to get a more rated R Batman stuff, but it is also a superhero. And this is like you have to remember all the kids that are into Batman and stuff. And I don't know. I'd like to see this movie rated R, but I can understand why they would want it to be rated PG-13 as well. Um, and I, I'm hoping it has no bearing on how good or bad the movie is, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. And it just makes me wonder if it is a PG-13 movie or they had to make it PG-13 movie. Give me the direct, give me the director's cut. <laughs> no, the, I absolutely agree with that. I hope that it just is a PG-13 movie and they didn't have to cut things out and stuff like that to make it fit the rating. Right. Um, okay. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is officially wrapped reshoots. Um, okay. I usually don't bring up the wrapping of movies because it's funny. You'll see you'll see news stories all the time like Spider-Man No Way Home is wrapped filming. Great. I already know I want to see the movie. Telling me that officially <laughs> wrapped filming doesn't mean the movie's done because they're going to do they have to do CGI and computer to edit edits and they have to go through the they have to do the whole editing process. Still, just because it's wrapped filming just means the actors are on break. Um, yeah. Hearing a movie going <laughs> hearing a movie's going into reshoots. That's um, that's some people worry that there's like problems with the movie, but all movies go into reshoots. This one's interesting 
to me because we're dealing with the multiverse of madness. Okay, and the various realities and timelines, because if this if this has any connection to the Loki show, he splintered off all the timelines. And then because of Peter Parker, the uh, realities exploded open. So this like, you know, your multiverse of madness, if you will. Yeah. Um, Because of the possibility of that, um, Doctor Strange went through significant reshoots. And there's heavy rumors suggesting that they were adding additional characters for cameos. Okay. So it makes me wonder if, hey, this is where we could see, like, Wanda's a part of this. Is this the beginning of the X-Men for the MCU? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff they could do here. And I'm not saying, like, they could literally, like, show a reality that's the end fight scene of X-Men 1. And we get to see the, you know, Statue of Liberty fight scene. Oh, man. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, what what is that? Like, if they're doing cameos, who'd all they get in? Who'd all they bring back? Like, how big is this really? Are the Eternals in this? Is Shang-Chi in this? Like, you know, where's the pull? Are we getting to see the reality where Robert Downey Jr. is still alive and you get to see Iron Man again? Yeah. What's the you know, there's a lot. I think um, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, you're you're looking like way further into this than I would be hearing that story. And I think it's just because I have like, I don't know if it's a normalcy bias or I just think, I guess I just am not expecting the X-Men to come in, but that would be an awesome way to throw the audience for a loop. But to me, like, I feel like this is going to be a movie that's going to be very expansive. It's going to be very esoteric and it's going to be a movie that's probably really hard to edit. And I think when you start to try to put the uh, footage you have together, I feel like you're going to need reshoots. You know, you're going to need to and you might realize like, oh, you know, these two scenes would actually flow together a lot better if we had an alternate universe version of like the vision you know, who comes in, for example, or something like that. So it's like, I think like sky's the limit. Like if something like the X-Men or like, what if we got a fantastic four cameo or something crazy, like that would be amazing. But at the same time, I think you also have to realize this is already a huge expansive project that they're working on. And we might get some maybe more mundane cameos that come into this, but that are still going to be awesome when you're actually watching it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. And um, the uh, and I totally hear what you're talking about. I completely wasn't thinking about Fantastic Four. So uh, (laughs) good call there. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I uh, I guess I was kind of looking at it as a um, let's see where, you know, I was kind of looking at big picture, like who could we pull? But you also got to think you're right. Yeah. But cameos aside, you got to understand, sometimes the reshoots are when they're in the editing bay, they're like, hold on. He's got a cell phone in his hand. How do you get the cell phone? Crap. We got to do a reshoot of him picking up a phone. You know what (laughs) I mean? And it's literally like Benedict Cumberbatch hands picking up a cell phone. So when you see the next shot, you know, like and a lot of times that's what happens. They have to go back and do the they're called pickups. And a lot of times you have to go do shots like that. So and you think to yourself, shoot, we really need that. Let's get the actors back real quick and do this. Um, actually, I do know for a fact, you know, the scene where in Batman versus Superman, where Batman is at the like fight club and he goes and sets his cell phone down to try and clone yeah. the other phone. That is actually Zack Snyder's hand setting down the phone. OK, crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Him setting on the phone and picking it up is Zack Snyder's hand, the close ups, uh, because Ben Affleck wasn't available for the pickup or something like that. And I'm just like, hey, that's, you know. <laughs> So, <laughs> all right. 
Uh, you ready? Nice. For, you ready for the uh, science story of the week, and then we'll roll into the list. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Fish fell from the sky in East Texas. Um, <laughs> um, do you know about <laughs> nice. the story at all? Do you know about this? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing when I read this. Um, the East Texas city of Texarkana, which sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons skill. Um, so, Peter, if you, could do me a, if you could do me a favor and give me a Texarkana check, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> They, they experienced a rare weather event uh, too close out of uh, to close out the year in 2021. It rained fish. The phenomenon known as animal rain occurred on Wednesday, a Wednesday where official declared on a Facebook post that 2021 is pulling out all the all the tricks, including raining fish. Nice. Uh, the city asked residents who witnessed the strange, strange event for their fish photos. Some prevented them in, uh, in a lengthy comment thread, along with notes of disbelief. Okay, so as an article, um, as an article in the Library of Congress explains, scientists believe tornadic wind spouts or updrafts to be responsible for fish and small animals falls that have been observed but not thoroughly documented around the planets. A tornado could descend towards the water's surface, sucking up objects and small animals into its vortex and raining them down elsewhere. A powerful thunderstorm, uh, wind currents could do something similar, another you know, theory proposes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is, I love this. In Texarkana, uh, this guy, uh, James Darish, I think I'm saying that pronouns right, he said... Um, he heard a thunderclap, and when he and a coworker opened the car, uh, the car dealership's doors, it was raining real hard, and then a fish hit the ground. I said, it's raining <laughs> fish, and he said, no, it's not. I was like, no, it really is, and there were fish dropping here and everywhere. Um, so what I took from this is that sharknadoes are real. <laughs> That's like it, great. That's it great. says right here, a tornado could descend towards the water surface, sucking up small objects and animals into its vortex. And I'm literally like, it, it was raining fish. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's tech, I mean, it's fish, but it could have been a sharknado. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a good call. I'm really curious. Did they say what kind of fish? Like, are we talking a minnow or are we talking like it was like bass northern like, pike it was or like, something? It was like bass and other various things like That's that. That's a just... decent sized fish. That's crazy. <laughs> right. But I'm sorry. Like, it's a sharknado. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. No, that's a really that's a really funny reaction to it. I hear the story and I kind of uh, part of me feels like I would be the guy who it would be raining fish, but I would be busy with something and I would just be like, oh, it's raining fish. I guess let's <laughs> keep going about my day <laughs> Well, just because I know there's weird stuff that happens in nature. So, uh, no, that's awesome. And I can't read that article. I can't read that story without automatically like I, I, I immediately thought Sharknado. I'm like, there's no way we're not talking about this on the show. So that's that's great. Um, I do also want to mention I rolled a uh, six on my Tex Arcana check and oh. I actually did. <laughs> if you heard any fumbling in the background, that actually was me grabbing my <laughs> dice bag and rolling a D20 for that. So. OK, so a six. <laughs> All right. Any modifiers? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. You tell me. <laughs> um, at any rate. Um, let's, uh, that kind of finishes out news. You ready to talk about tonight's list? 
Yeah, let's go for it. Sweet. All right. Um, Brian, it is list time, so do me a favor, man, and roll the thing. And now for the top five. <laughs> okay, Peter, it is uh, list time. It's uh, This one was mine. Um, yes. I hope that you had a hard time doing this because that was the intention. Um, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> we we talk about we're probably going to talk about a ton of movies tonight that we've talked about at ad nauseum. So I, I figured I'll keep the reviews kind of short, but there might be a specific reason we chose this movie. And that's probably the best way to go about discussing these. Yeah, um, that makes sense. The um, without going into big reviews, just there might be like one specific reason why we're bringing this up. But every now and then we use the word perfect and it's really hard to describe a perfect movie because all movies have mistakes. But you know, some movies we watch over and over and over and over again. And that's how that's how we peel back the layers and start seeing the mistakes. Sometimes we watch movies over and over and over again and we can't see mistakes, but we hold them in such high regard. We hold them on pedestals. And um, I and I've been thinking about it a lot because sometimes there are movies that I think are perfect films. So I thought to myself, let's do a list of uh, for us. What are five perfect films these do not have to be in any order i'm not ranking my list i do have like i have an order that i'm going to talk about it obviously but um i'm not ranking anything these are just five movies that i deem perfect uh in my opinion there are no mistakes with these movies even though all movies have mistakes you know like just, just you don't see them as often um there's not famous mistakes like uh um, big famous mistakes like in the original Star Wars, Stormtrooper hits his head, for example. If you say Star Wars is a perfect film, that's great. We all know that Stormtrooper hit his head. It's in every cut of the film, so it's not like they kept taking it out and fixing it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, but, I think Stormtroopers would hit their head once in a oh, while. I, I agree, too. <laughs> I agree, too. Um, this, um, because of how difficult it is to claim something as a perfect film, I do not have any honorable mentions. <laughs> I actually have two, and I think I do. actually have really good reasons why they're honorable, honorable mentions. But uh, talking about the list in general, I hated putting this list together. And the reason is I like you said, I don't know if I believe any film is perfect. Like even when you pitched this list last week in my head, I was thinking none of them are, you know, and uh, it's also like there's a weird uh, there's weird roads you can go down on this discussion, like what makes something perfect, what makes a piece of artwork perfect, what makes something a perfect work of art. And I'm one who's always said, like, if the artist or let's say filmmaker, you know, to suit this list better, if the filmmaker's intentions were met with how the, how he executed his filmmaking, then it is a successful film. Like there might be arguments out there as to why dude where's my car is the perfect film or something like that i don't think so but there might be an argument right. for that because it's completely perfectly successful in what the movie was trying to do so i think this is a weird nuanced discussion i'm glad that you mentioned that we might be talking about movies we've already talked about a lot um because that definitely fits uh the description of my list um but yeah i guess i can go into my honorable mentions and i'll say one thing that helped me put my list together is I stopped thinking about movies as perfect, but started thinking of them as movies that you wouldn't change anything about. 
And that's kind of help that helped me put my list together because I was like, well, if you wouldn't change one thing about the entire film, I think it is perfect. Um, and that actually leads into my first honorable mention, which I feel is a very corny, gimme choice. <laughs> but I went to I went with the movie. It's a wonderful life. And uh, this is a movie that drew. If you asked our mom, what's a perfect movie? This might be a movie that she says, because when I think about this movie, like I feel like it's such a gimme choice because it's so well loved and everything. But it is a movie that I think about and I'm like. I really wouldn't change one aspect of this entire film. And when I think back on it, this is a movie that when I first saw them, when I first saw it, when I was like six years old, I related to this movie, you know, and uh, this is a movie that watching as an adult, I still relate to. And it has that rewatchability value. Like, I think rewatchability factors into this list a lot as well. But uh, yeah, that's my pick. I didn't want to go too far in depth, but that was the first honorable mention that mm -hmm. I had. You know, I am not a big fan of that movie. That's funny. Um, I hate like <laughs> like I'm not a big fan of it. It's like I get it. I appreciate it. I understand why people love it. It's just it's not my cup of tea. Uh, <laughs> and there's a whole chunk of the movie like it's like I like the beginning. I like the ending. There's this whole mess in the middle that I find incredibly boring and hard to watch. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, Like it's just and I remember I remember when I came up in a film class um the teacher uh had us watch it and i was like yeah okay i've seen this movie before and like i remember the same <laughs> thing as getting bored right in the middle like here it is here it comes so is it is it one of those things where you get the point like okay i get it if george bailey wasn't around all these good things wouldn't have happened and all this bad stuff was and you're kind of like i get the point and then it gets tedious when they just keep pointing things out kind of and maybe I'm okay. the that, people. that, that maybe, makes sense that makes and sense. maybe i fall into the demographic that um because the movie bombed at the box office like when that movie originally oh yeah people hated it so you know because it you know i guess maybe it doesn't age right you know what i mean well, I, I, think, I think it, it aged it aged better than uh, originally planned i guess Yep. And that's why I've always said that uh, Batman v Superman is the it's wonder. It's a wonderful life of our generation, <laughs> because I think that movie's going to age a lot better than uh, the critics reviewed it when it came out. I can't wait to see how Batman and Robin ages. Um, <laughs> no, but that I, that is I do actually think that Batman v Superman is going to age super well over the next like century. But um, and I've actually thought of it in comparison to It's a Wonderful Life. But I also think it's funny to say, like, yeah, Batman v Superman is the new It's a Wonderful Life. It just seems so ridiculous to say. Um, that's OK. Right. So moving into my next honorable mention is a movie that's almost perfect to me, except for a couple lines. And that's why it just barely didn't make my list. But I went with the movie Zodiac. Um, if you listen to our podcast, you know, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I love this movie. I love the mystery of it. Um, it's a movie that got me interested in the mystery of the Zodiac killer. And I love that when I watch this movie, uh, it's a movie that I think about all the time. Like, I still think, like, who really is the Zodiac killer? And I think of all the characters in the movie. And, you know, how did this play out? How did that play out? The only reason... This movie doesn't make my final list is I was in Boy Scouts growing up like I am an Eagle Scout. Um, Boy Scouts was a huge part of my childhood. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in this movie um, mentions that he was a Boy Scout as well. And there's a couple 
jokes in the movie about it. And the reason why it, they don't sit right with me is they're really inaccurate. <laughs> 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 like, like there's one part of the movie where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, yeah, I was an Eagle Scout first class. And I'm watching the movie and I was like, no, first class and Eagle Scout are different ranks. That's not a thing. I hate this line right here. <laughs> and other, other than that, like, I've heard people complain that and say that this movie has pacing issues. But for me, I love the pacing of this movie. I think this movie is almost perfect. I just think there's a couple inaccuracies where I was like, you guys really couldn't have looked this up while, you know, while working on the script. So that's the only reason why it doesn't make my list. Right. Doesn't that drive you nuts when like it's something super tiny about that? And you're just like, really, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like when something comes up and it's within your expertise yet yeah, bugs you. But then you think about all the movies where there's things you're oblivious to that they probably get inaccurate. And it just makes you like kind of question some of the other movies that you actually do like. So well, here's, here's a really good example. I work in law enforcement. Um, if I watch like something police related on television, um, the one thing that tips me off that I know that makes it fake is that if you look at their like vests, like their Kevlar vests that they wear, Nobody's carrying any pens. <laughs> and in my Kevlar vest, I have three pens that are in pretty clear view. <laughs> that's funny. Like no one has pens on them. It's just like, no, nope, there's not enough pens on the set. Like that's not sorry. It's like it's fake because it's something like that. Like, <laughs> you, guys, you guys have one job. That's look it up and get it correct. <laughs> that's funny. That's, um, that's actually really great. <laughs> um, at any rate, so you have. Uh, so. I know you did your two honorable mentions, but because it's my list and I don't have any, you got to give us your first pick of the night because that's how the rules go. So that that's that's fine. Um, okay. And I can your probably keep this a, one. your first actual pick. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this one we can probably keep kind of short. This was the last pick to make my list. I really debated over whether I wanted to include this one, but I went with The Matrix, the original Matrix. We've talked about this movie a ton, so I won't go on and on about it, but I think when it comes to the story that this movie wanted to tell and the themes that it wanted to get across, I do think this movie executed it in a near perfect way. But I also think there's also this cool linchpin built into the story about how the Matrix is a computer simulation that all these characters live in. And it's one of those things where if certain uh, CGI from the movie doesn't hold up, that's because it's part of the computer situation <laughs> or the computer simulation. And that's it kind of it's kind of this weird loophole where even if the effects age badly, it still makes sense within the story. And I think that's part of the reason why I think this movie's going to age really well. But I also think that the movie's very culturally relevant still, um, especially with like the metaverse and stuff that Mark Zuckerberg's working on right now and um, different uh, dystopian themes in the movie. I also think that um, I'm trying to remember where I wanted to go with this. I just think it's I think it's a movie that's aged really well, and I think it did really accomplish what it was trying to do. Um, and I don't know if I have too much more to say than that. Drew, if you disagree, like you don't think this is a perfect movie, I don't I don't necessarily blame you. But um, the more I thought about it, I think this movie does work really well for this list. And I think also when you think of all these sort of hidden messages and um, there's 
different aspects of uh, theology and stuff that you can find in the Matrix and a lot of just Easter eggs that are fun to uh, dissect, um, you know, as you rewatch this movie over and over. And this isn't really one of those like disagree with you kind of uh, conversations because this is like our opinions. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. uh, The Matrix. I, I didn't even think about it when I was putting these putting my list together. Um, it, it probably would make my short list if I were to go back and redo it. Um, yeah, because of what they achieved, even like on a technical level, um, storytelling and technical level just by itself. Um, did you watch the new one yet? No, I, I still haven't watched it. Have you watched yeah. it? No, I haven't. And I, I okay. totally would have brought it up, but it's literally like I need time to sit down and like absorb it. That's the problem. I've kind of wanted to go through and rewatch the old ones and then watch the new one, but I haven't had the time to do that. Either, so right. I feel <laughs> Maybe like I'll do this, that this weekend. That'd be pretty cool. I feel cool. like I'm going to run out of time because it, when Matrix, because it's only on HBO Max for a certain amount of time, and then it gets pulled, and then they're gonna, and then it goes back to HBO Max. But I feel like I'm gonna run out of time in this initial thing. I might have to wait for the second round just because how busy things are with me right now. This is my busiest time of the year for me. So um, yeah, we'll it, see. It that. happens, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, all right, my first uh, pick of the night is um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the first Good video, call. the first Indiana Jones film. Besides. The storytelling, besides the acting, cinematography, the set design, production design, all that stuff. There's some really, really clever things that this movie does. I love this movie from top to bottom. I I really, truly think there's no mistakes. But one thing this movie does that really caught my attention and this caught my attention. And I've seen this movie so many times. This is like one of those things like I've seen this movie 500 times kind of conversations. This caught my attention probably maybe two, three years ago. It was on TV. I was kind of like trying to kill time because I had to be somewhere. But I'm just like, this is good for background noise. I'm doing stuff around the house. And I ended up finding myself watching a large chunk of the movie in this killing time period. And there's lines of dialogue in the movie. This is your first time meeting the character or characters, right? This is the very first Indiana Jones film. But there's lines of dialogue that tell that a story exists before the events of this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's such smart writing and I never noticed it before. And they talk about stuff in the past and like Marion's like, um, I was just a kid. You knew what you were doing all that stuff. You're like, hold on, wait a second. What are you talking about? What happened? Like, <laughs> you know, and he's, yeah. talking, he's asking questions about her dad. You don't even know who her dad is yet. Cause he's not even in the movie because he's long dead because it's this whole other adventure that happened beforehand. And they, they were so smart to do that. And it harkens back to that idea um, of the serialized storytelling that existed long ago that we're now getting back to where if you missed like because in, in the world of not having DVRs and Netflix and binging abilities and streaming, if you missed the previous episode, well, you're out of luck. You've got to just pick up where they uh, pick up where they are. And I feel like that's something that this movie does so well. And movies don't do that anymore, where if you missed it, well, you got to pick up where everybody else is and just start going with it and hope you can keep up. Um, Yeah. And it's and it's it's really, really smart. And it's something I never noticed before. And it makes it that much more perfect. Um, Like Mm -hmm. I said, I think I hold the movie on a high pedestal to begin with. But I noticed that a few years back and I'm like, it makes me so, so much more appreciate the movie than it was. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a great film, so I'm not going to argue about 
argue about this one at all. Like, I think this is definitely, I think this definitely deserves to be on the list. And, uh, you talking about that dialogue, like it makes me want to go and rewatch this movie and keep that in mind. But I do love stuff like that, where it's like the dialogue expects the audience to be smart and expects the audience to be able to fill in gaps. And it doesn't have to be over explanatory. You can just show things like you can show the audience what is going on or what the backstory of the characters is instead of having to explain it at ad nauseum. And it's really cool. It's really cool when stuff does that. I always like it. I think it makes for a really good sort of economy of dialogue, economy of storytelling. And uh, no, I think that just lends to the fast paced, like really exciting story that this movie tells. So uh, that's a good thing to point out. And uh, yeah, great film. I don't know if I have too much else to yeah, comment yeah, on other than that. Like I said, these don't have to be big reviews because we've talked about these movies crazily amount. Anyway, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, what's your next one? So my next one is another movie we've talked about a ton. And uh, this was honestly one of the first movies I thought of for this list, which is kind of weird. But I went with fight with Fight Club. Um, mm. This is including Zodiac. This is the second David Fincher movie on my list, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Like, I guess I like David Fincher a lot. But the reason I went with this is this is another one where I think about the movie and I don't know that there's any aspect of it. You know, from the writing, the dialogue, the cinematography, I don't know if I would change anything from it. And I love when you watch the movie. Um, we're going to get into spoiler territory. But before um, the movie's main character has been out for 25 years, I think you're okay. <laughs> I know. But this is a big <laughs> twist movie. So I just want to warn the audience. But before the main character meets Tyler Durden, how he kind of uh, is uh I don't know the right he's like spliced into the movie in the background for like certain frames and stuff that your eye just barely catches and stuff. And I think stuff okay. like that is just like the really flag. cool. Yeah, the, yeah. The subliminal messages kind of thing. Exactly. And I think stuff like that's really cool. The other thing that I really appreciate about uh, appreciate about this movie is I've talked about this before, but I had this movie spoiled for me. Well, actually, I had the story of Fight Club spoiled for me, but I still read the book after it was spoiled and I really enjoyed the book. And then I watched the movie and I still really enjoyed it. And the movie and the book are almost almost like spot on exactly the same when it comes to the dialogue and the main characters monologues through the movie and stuff like that. But um the thing that the movie does is there's a couple scenes that slightly change. Like uh, there's the scene where they're driving down the road and Tyler Durden's driving and he lets go of the wheel and he lets the car drive off of the road. Yeah. In the book, it's actually a different member from Project Mayhem who's holding the wheel at that part. And uh, the way the dialogue uh plays out is a little bit different, but in the movie having Tyler Durden in the driver's seat, it actually kind of simplified and streamlined that whole scene. And it's one of those things where the slight changes the movie makes, it actually like almost improves and like streamlines things a little bit more, which I kind of really appreciated as well. So I don't want to go on and on too much about this. Like we've talked about this movie a ton, but uh, yeah, I went with fight club for my next pick. Yeah. Right on. This movie's fantastic. And it's funny because you're picking David Fincher, and I'm about to give you another Lucasfilm movie, but um, <laughs> nice. And I'm talking about uh, Howard the Duck. No, um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, no, Fight Club is fantastic. And you know what's funny is I didn't even think about it when I was doing it, but when you think about this, just the structure of the movie, uh, yeah. 
it really is kind of perfect. Yeah, it really is. Um, okay, moving on. Um, so my next one is The Empire Strikes Back. We matched for this one. We matched. Okay. Yes. Um, this movie. Okay. Look, I there's. I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan, and there's like everybody knows that. If you listen to the show, you know I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, so obviously, but in the world of claiming a movie's perfect, it's hard to say any Star Wars movie's perfect because, yeah, the acting's not the greatest in those movies. However, this movie, there's something specific about this Star Wars movie where the acting, the cinematography, the screenplay, the visual effects, the um, the production design, the set design, the lighting, the sound effects, the, like everything is like so spot on perfect. This is a movie that I really feel has no mistakes. And I've seen this movie so many times. When I watch a Star Wars movie, I always find there's always something new that I've never seen before. Yeah. I always spot something new every single time I watch this movie or any Star Wars movie. But it's like the tiniest little things are like, man, they they thought of that. You know what I mean? Like that goes through my head like, oh, my God, they thought of that. Or, oh, they thought to do that. Like there's a there's a scene the most recent uh, notice for me, the most recent one in terms of my most recent viewing of the movie is at the beginning with the snow battle, Princess Leia is kind of laying out the plan. Like, all right, you guys are going to do this. Stay close to your fighters. Do this as soon as the ground troops, you know, that kind of thing. And then get back and get to your ships because um, they're laying out the battle plan because the snow battle is about to happen. When if you look in the upper right hand corner of the screen, Han Solo is working on the Falcon. He's on top of the Falcon working on it because they're scrambling to get out. Right. Mm -hmm. When Leia starts talking, he stops to listen. <laughs> That's cool. And you're just and it's, I've never noticed it because I've never looked beyond that conversation. And it, you, you, you see that and you're just like, oh, my God, they thought to do that. That's because awesome. the characters are in love with each other. And of course, he stopped because she started talking and you're just like, they thought to do that. Um, so and I'm never not going to see that now. So it's just it's just little things like that. Um, the carbon freezing scene, um, in my opinion, is one of the most amazing sequences of film in the history of film um, with Every aspect to it is correct. Every aspect to it is perfect. Uh, this movie is considered the perfect sequel. It really is. It's held on a pedestal of sequels. I know it's a sequel, but it's considered a perfect film. Forget my review. The general public believes so, too. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to Empire Strikes Back because we just because um, we matched. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know where to go from what you were just saying. But uh, when you go into the perfect sequel or the perfect film, this is a film that's in li the Library of Congress. I don't know yeah. if any other Star Wars film is. I think this is the only one, and I think there's no, a good the reason for the original that. Is, the original is. The original. Okay. And and, and the, the difference is I remember, um, just because it happened later in my life, I remember hearing about this one going into, li into the Library of Congress on the news. So that's yeah. just kind of where that fits into the whole thing. But um, I think that really goes to the testament of this movie and uh, the first Star Wars, like, or yeah, A New Hope, like the first Star Wars movie really wowed everybody a lot with the special effects and like the story's great and stuff. But I think this movie really did up the ante um, as far as just 
really good storytelling and really cool things being revealed. And uh, I think about The Empire Strikes Back, and I think one of the reasons this movie ages really well is like, yeah, we have an awesome snow speeder fight on Hoth. And yeah, we get to see um, we get to see Dagobah for the first time. For example, we get a Wampa in this movie. The lightsaber fight at the end of this movie is one of the best of the original trilogy, if not the best. But I think it's also because a lot of the important parts of the movie are actually dialogue based and some of the more um you know, more quiet moments, even when it goes to like, yeah, it's uh, at the end of the at the end of the movie, like during the lightsaber fight, when there's Vader's big reveal in this movie, that's a scene that's lived on with people since this movie came out, like it's lived on with audiences. And it's one of those movies that, yes, or it's one of those scenes that people have been quoting ad nauseum for years. And yes, most people get the lines of di- dialogue wrong. But still, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is a movie that lives on with you. And my point is, like, even if as the special effects age and maybe certain parts don't look as realistic as when the movie first came out, all the important scenes um, for their just how good of storytelling it is and how they emotionally resonate and stuff, they all still hit you really hard, regardless of how well the special effects hold up, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and I I 100% agree exi- with everything you just said. And yeah. I don't know if we could say anything else about <laughs> Empire Strikes Back that uh, we haven't already said or aren't going to say because we're going to be talking Star Wars forever, especially with Boba Fett on a weekly discussion. Um, all right, so I guess that goes back to mine, right? Yeah. All right. Um, so my next one is The Dark Knight. Um. This made my short list. This was really hard to uh, decide if it was going to make my list or not. This movie. Wow, man. Like, first off, this movie is probably one of the in terms of superhero movies. This movie's perfect. And I really think you can stack. It's like I really feel like even in the realm of what we got from No Way Home, even when you think about um, Endgame and all the amazing things the Marvel movies have brought us. I really feel like back in 2008, DC made the Dark Knight. They said, here's the bar and no movie. And I'm and you can argue with me all you want. But in all seriousness, sit down and watch the Dark Knight and then try to watch anything else. Like really watch the Dark Knight and then try to watch anything else. I really don't feel like anything has matched it in terms of how good of a film that is. Um, Mm -hmm. You can take Batman out of the movie and or like just put Batman in a cop's uniform or make him just a regular detective. And you have and you still have the exact same movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so well. It's so smart. It's so well put together. I know I say that a lot, but it's such a smart movie. Um, but no, like The Dark Knight, literally, this is like almost the epitome of perfect, if you will. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that was my pick. And like we've talked about, I'm going to always be talking about this movie, but um, I really do feel like this is a perfect, perfect film. Zero mistakes. So, yeah, no, this this movie is great. Um, and yeah, no arguments with me from there. Like this is a, per- a nearly perfect, if not perfect film. And one of the one of my favorite parts of The Dark Knight is how um, 
certain scenes and certain lines of dialogue from this movie are things that you'll be thinking about for years. Like, uh, <laughs> the part where, uh, the Joker gets arrested and he's taken into the police station. And there's that line of dialogue. That's like, there's nothing in his, in his pockets, but lint, like knives and lint or something like that. Um, yeah. and I just, rem- I always like think about that line and I'm just like, I'm just like, well, that's effed up <laughs> because you know, he had something really sinister planned with those knives, but also like, just carrying, you know, aside from like pocket knives and stuff, if you're carrying a knife in your pocket, like you have the potential of hurting yourself too. And that, that line has always stuck with me, but then also like the part where, um, there's the two, uh, the two boats that, uh, Joker has a, uh, bomb on and the, uh, you know, you press the button, you're going to blow the other boat up. You know, the scenario, I always think about that scene and like, what was really going on there? What if uh, what if that scene played out played out differently? Would it have even gone the way the Joker said? You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of just concepts in this movie that really are really fun to think about, like years and years after watching the film. And I think that's a great uh, that's a great aspect of this movie as well. So, yeah. Um, all right. We're going to this is a movie that we'll come back to several times. So instead of going any farther, Peter, what's your next one? We got two more each. Yeah. Um, so my next one is, uh, this is a movie I've talked about a lot. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And that's the movie American Splendor. Um, really quickly, this is kind of the biographic, uh, story of Harvey Picar, who is the author of the independent comic book, American Splendor. And so it's kind of the biography about a guy who wrote a comic book about his own life. (laughs) So the movie's really meta, but the movie also splices in there's a documentary angle of this movie because you have this movie that takes place that stars um, Paul Giamatti playing Harvey Picar. But you also have sort of uh, confessional style documentary scenes of the actual Harvey Picar and his actual wife and the actual people that the that actors are playing in this movie. And so it. Yes, it's like already a meta um, concept for a film already, but then it gets even more meta when you bring in the di- the biography aspect. But it also does the sort of biography combined with dramatization um, combination like it does that better than anything I've ever seen where it's not jarring at all. Like you see the real Harvey Picar talking about the actor Paul Giamatti playing Harvey Picar. And then you see Paul Giamatti doing different uh, things and different scenes in the movie. And it's a lot more smooth than you would think. And uh, this is a movie that kind of has that. It definitely fits in the sort of depressing indie movie sort of box. But the thing I love about this movie is I actually think it's a really uplifting movie i think it's one of those movies that you watch and you think it's going to be really depressing and boring and it's actually really great and uh when you watch the film the writing is just really really good it's really deep it's super relatable there's certain parts of the movie that are really open-ended as well that i think stick with you and this is just a movie that if i see it on tv i'm watching the whole thing and as I'm discussing this movie, it sounds really convoluted, but like I said, when you watch it, it actually flows really smoothly. And I think it's kind of the perfect, the perfect execution of what this movie is. Like, I don't think they could have 
pulled it off any better than they did. And that's why it makes my list. So, yeah. Nice. Um, and I've actually never seen this movie, so I have no way to comment on it. <laughs> nice. I can I can let you borrow it. And it's one of those things that I think you'll watch and you'll be like, OK. But then if you catch it on TV or something again, it's one of those movies that every time I watch it, I get more of an appreciation for too. It like ages really well with you, which I love about this film as well. So. All right. Well, my second to last pick is the movie Out of Sight. Um, I've talked about this movie heavily in the past. It is one of my all it's probably my all time favorite movie, period. Um, George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez. It's a con man kind of a thing. It's an opposites attract love story in the most perfect way. Um, The uh, this is one where it's like screenplay, acting, cinematography, everything is like on point. Everyone knew their job and it was very clear that they knew what they were doing, but they were also out to make just not only were they out to make a good movie, they were out to have some fun making a movie and it shows and it's like, everything is just top notch. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if you have any comments. Um, this is a movie that I grow more and more appreciative of every time I watch it. Um, so, uh, and it's one of those it's one of those movies where I think about the writing in terms of a script because I've read the novel and the movie does this. And I don't want to say time jumping. That's not the right word. They tell the story with some flashback sequences um, where in the novel, everything's linear. So I think telling the flat telling it with the flashback aspect makes the story itself more compelling. Nice. Um, And I really appreciate what they were trying to do with that script. Um, And I think it really strengthened the story they're telling. Um, And it just it it has me in awe every time I watch it because of how tight everything is put together. So I don't know. Um, Thinking about the flashbacks, I've always said that the book of Boba Fett is the out of sight for the new generation. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, This is a movie that I feel like. It's one of those things where I feel like back in the day, I feel like I saw part of this movie on HBO or something, but I haven't I haven't given it a proper watch through. I know you speak really highly of it, though, and I really want to watch it. And I think it's one of those things that I'm going to see on. uh, It's going to come up on Amazon Prime one of these days or something, and I'm going to check it out and really enjoy it. But otherwise, I don't have anything really to say at the moment. (laughs) Gotcha. All right. No, it's totally fine. Uh, you need to watch it, though. Um, at any rate, uh, what's your final pick of the night, man? Yeah, so uh, this one I was going to I was actually going to do or I was actually saving Empire Strikes Back for last. But uh, my last pick of the night um, is going to be the movie Alien, the first in oh. the Alien series. And uh, when I think about this movie, this is another one where I don't think I would change anything about the story anything about the movie really. And I think you think about the alien sequels, like you think about the movie aliens and I think aliens is probably a near perfect movie as well. But I was thinking about aliens and I was thinking about how there's more characters and there's more going on and there's more maybe potential for mistakes. Like it's been a bit since I've rewatched that movie, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, I bet there's some dialogue that's a little clunky, but I think about the movie alien and I feel like it is a really concise story. It is that really concise stripped down haunted house story in space. And I was also thinking about how, just the concepts that were established in this movie have lived on really well, like the alien and the 
face hugger and all that has is obviously like it has a its own place on the Mount Rushmore of pop culture, if you will. But I think about the special effects in this movie and how so much of it was shot in the dark and how so much of it actually lives up really well. And I think it comes with the sort of really dark scenes um, depicting the the xenomorph where the the alien in this movie really looked real when you watch it, you know, and I think one of the few parts of the movie, I think the uh, the part where the uh, the one character, I can't remember his name, but when he's revealed to be an android, I feel like some of those special effects look a little bit like you can tell that they're not real. But otherwise, I honestly feel like most of the special effects of this movie live on surprisingly well when you think about this movie came out in what 1979 or I know it was only a few uh, years after uh, yes. uh, the first star Wars, but 70, when you think of, yes, 79. Yeah. When you think of how old this movie is and how well, like how realistic the alien and the face hugger and everything looks, it's really impressive. And I just think, I really do think this is a near perfect, if not perfect film. So, and I will agree with every statement you said, there is one part in the movie where the alien, because it's it's a guy in a costume. The alien, the xenomorph itself is oh, a guy in a costume. I think I know. I think I know which part you're it's, talking it's about. Near the, it's <laughs> near the end of the movie. There's one part where it looks fake. It's oh, like okay. One camera shot where I it like because that's the that's one creature. That's one practical effect, prop, costume, crazy creature, makeup uh, job that has always absolutely blown my mind in terms of film practical effects stuff and there's one shot in the original alien movie that drives me nuts because i can tell it's fake and it's the only shot that like it it almost breaks the movie for me a little bit (laughs) well i just i guess like thinking back on the movie i do think about the uh like i think about the alien bursting out of the chest and stuff like that and i think about one of the shots i think about a lot is the shot where the uh the alien's tail like drops down from the ceiling, like in the background. And I remember watching that. Um, I remember rewatching that. This is like years ago, but it was like it was one of those like it was one of those things where it's like I haven't watched Alien in so long. And I remember watching that part and thinking like that tail, it looks so real and it flows so smooth. And I can't believe this came out in the late 70s. You know, like I couldn't believe how well they pulled a lot of it off, you know, so, yeah. No, they did a they did a great job putting together that movie. Um, all right, so uh, my next movie, my next pick for the night is Jaws. Nice. This um, made my short list as well. This is probably, and I'm not kidding when I say this, probably and arguably one of the greatest films ever made. Um, and yes, it's essentially a horror picture. It's a, it's essentially a horror picture, or a creature feature, or whatever. Um, and it is famous for the nightmare of a filmmaking process. It was you had a shark that wouldn't work. They had to constantly change the script. They had to constantly rewrite it. They had to shoot around stuff. Spielberg basically had to make the shark scary without using a shark. So there's so yeah. much of the story that takes place just on the land. How do we deal with this? What are we dealing with? How do we look at this? Like, do we close beaches? No, let's let, let's let the kid go swimming. Are we worried there's a shark in the water? Let's shoot underwater. You know, there's so many aspects of the movie that they had to do on the fly because things were not functioning properly. And at the end of the day, it is probably one of the best 
movies out there. Um, it's probably one of the greatest uh, put together films. And then it still holds up like, yeah, we know the shark's fake, but the movie still holds up. And that's, I think, a huge <laughs> testament to that movie. It's almost like it's almost like film began and you had all these movies happen and then movies and then film began again in 1975. It's, right. like, it's like, well, like Jaws was the first movie back. Jaws was the first movie to say, hey, wait, no, no, no. This is how you make movies. And yeah. then and then here we are today. Um, and but it's it's emotional and it's raw and it's exciting and it's an adventure. And there's, there's so much in this movie and there's so much jammed pack in the movie. Um, I really do feel like Jaws is probably it's such a perfect movie. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to Jaws, but you said it made your shortlist. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. And uh, I don't know. Part of it was. uh I don't know. This one was divisive for me because I did know about the technical difficulties they had behind the scenes and how that was a big happy accident where we actually saw less of the shark than maybe was originally intended. But that also meant that you imagine the shark a lot scarier than it actually is, which was super effective for this film. But kind of knowing about that conundrum behind the scenes made me it really made me think about whether that makes this film more perfect or makes this film less perfect. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I don't know why, but uh, that's probably the only reason it didn't make my film. But I love that this is another movie that you watch as a kid and you love it. And then you watch it as an adult and you still love it and relate to it as much as you did when you were a kid. And I also like that aspect that this is like, yeah, it's a horror flick. It's a creature feature. But this is also a movie that's loved and appreciated by people who aren't really into creature features. And I don't know. It's it's a really good film and there's great characters and it's written really well. And uh, I don't know. I don't know too much else what to say, but uh, no, this is yeah. definitely a okay. great pick. Um, what is uh, our what are we doing next week? Cause that kind of brings us to the end of the list. So, <laughs> yeah. So I mentioned that I hated putting this list together. And uh, that's why next week I kind of want to go in the opposite direction. Um, and I want to talk about our top five movies that are so bad that they're good. <laughs> so we've had a top five guilty pleasures list. But I think this is a little bit different when you're talking about the movies that are objectionably or objectively extremely bad but that's also what makes them endearing and what makes them great and uh, i hope you're up for this list drew because i think this will be a really fun uh, topic to tackle. yeah yeah huh wow okay <laughs> i know you've watched a number of the sharknado films as well so. yeah no i have how about this there's one movie right off the top of my head that i'm but I, I can I, I have one right now. Nice. Um, That's awesome. Anyway. Um, sweet. All right. Well, do you want to toss this episode in the can? Because that kind of brings us to a close. Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right, everyone, do us a favor and uh, check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Uh, you can interact with the show there. Hit us up on our social media. Either way works. Um we're on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, and uh, you can leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we also understand criticism because it uh, helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. 
You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre. And that's where I'll be mentioning that on a scale of not fun to fun, fun being the funnest you can go, I think we had a pretty fun time tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, for the top five report, um, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night.